You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Friday the 25th of November and it's the first day of the Coral Gold Cup fixture at Newbury Racecourse. I'm standing on the balcony high above the fifth floor of the Hampshire stand looking out onto the the track. In front of me I can see the the course looks in in wonderful condition. It's a glorious day, hardly a cloud in the sky and um, the view is only partially eclipsed by the large ferris wheel and big top that are poking up out of the middle of the course. Lydia Hislop is alongside me here for a special Friday pod. That's quite a sight, isn't it? Yes. Well, I mean, I knew what to expect having read in the newspapers that it was going to be here. And obviously we're on the fifth floor here in the press room. So we can actually just about see to the other side, apart from the Ferris wheel bit over there. Uh, It'll be interesting to hear how people who are attending Newbury today feel about it and whether they feel that the actual main point of existence of Newbury Racecourse is the one that is being prioritised here. It is absolutely huge. There's a a massive sign standing about 20 foot high saying spinning coaster. That kind of gives you the idea of what we're looking at. It it does. There's a Ferris wheel. There's one of those terrifying swing you round and drop things there's oh gosh I, I hate fun fairs as I was just saying to John Hunt earlier anything that sort of tells you that you're going to have fun in the title is it's <laughs> just it's just trying too hard and I just sort of think well maybe I'm not going to have fun and um, uh, I wonder whether the race goers are going to have fun today the exception that proves the rule of course is Fun House the, the popular children's television programme hosted by Pat Sharp which was indeed a lot of fun I never watched that did you not? no for, probably for the same reason I wasn't going to say it was a generational thing. But anyway, <laughs> on, we, on we move. This weekend's feature race is the Coral Gold Cup. It's one of the great handicap chases of the early part of the season. We will talk about the conditions that this race is going to be run on a little bit later in the programme, Lydia. But we may as well launch straight in uh, and you can give us your idea of the winner of the race. Well, the horse I'm probably most interested in in terms of hand staying handicaps this season is Jericho Rock. I really like him. I he was he got a string of seconds to his name um last season, but I don't think that's through lack of trying or lack of ability or anything like that. He ran in all of the top races. He was in the Warwick Classic, finishing second behind Eclair Surf, uh second behind Corrick Rambler. Um oh, Corrick Rambler got an amazing ride that day um in the Ultima. Um he started off over hurdles, you know, it it, it was a, a stepping stone to here. I wonder whether ultimately he might might need a little bit further than this, but the thing that really struck me when he was a a novice was how well he jumped as a very young novice. I mean, he's only now six under pressure against much more experienced horses when things really got tough. I think that means that as he graduates into seasoned handicapping company, he is going to be uh, very, very well equipped for that transition. 
Jericho Rock is trained by David Pipe, who also has remastered in the race. He spoke about both horses earlier in the week on the podcast. And just as a reminder, if you weren't with us earlier in the week, he said that going into their respective hurdling seasonal debuts at Aintree, they ran in the same race, he felt Jericho Rock was his number one for this race. Remastered rather surprised him by winning that and suddenly propelled himself to the head of the betting. But I still got the feeling that Pipe felt Jericho Rock was a horse that's, that had more to offer. I think they've both got really good chances in this. I and mean, obviously we remember Remastered falling when going really well for out in this race. And uh, he ran perfectly respectably next time at Haydock and then his form rather tailed off. But that was a really good way to start his season. He's one of those frustrating horses. He has never quite landed it, has he? The, the trainer described him as a, a, a sort of bone-headed horse. <laughs> A bit of a thug, he said. And he he didn't think he would have won last year, says trainer in slightly shock statement. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 an extraordinary statement. I agree with him. Mm. Okay, Uh, there's a a couple of horses in what is probably not an absolutely vintage running that I think probably require a bit more attention. One of those is three under three five. We spoke to owner Max McNeil yesterday, who's never had a runner in this race and has been trying for some time. Um, What did you make of that that hurdles comeback and what do you make of the fact that he's now in cheek pieces? I thought it was a perfectly good um, hurdles comeback in a race where almost everything apart from Prashima and the other horses returning from novice chasing Oscar Elite I think ran well below form. I think it was a really adequate and probably a little bit more than that satisfactory return from three under three five. Uh, He's got a sort of jaunty head carriage. I can understand whether they're applying cheek pieces. I think that could go one way or another with him. Uh, I do think he was in too deep in the Brown Advisory, the um, the Grade One at, won by Lompresse at the Cheltenham Festival. He didn't actually run that badly, he ran, did he? I think he ran very well. Uh, for a, I mean, I'd rather have seen him in something like the Ultima or even the National Hunt Chase. Maybe I would have thought that would have been more his money. But yes, I thought he ran perfectly well, and I think he's well handicapped going into this season over fences. And he's trained by Paul Nichols, who's going at a rather meagre twenty-seven <laughs> percent, which is a all? which is very low strike rate for for him. Dan Skelton's horses are going very well i ended up plumping for lamilos right explain your reasoning um because he was a a progressive horse for tim vaughan last year he has had a stable upgrade i thought he looked a completely different proposition at bangor when he beat useful rivals he is still theoretically well in here to the tune of four pounds um I think he's just got more upside than most. He's a horse with a nice bit of pace, which I think is very important in this race. He won't mind the ground. I can see him tipping away in a nice rhythm towards the front end. And then it'll be a question of whether he fully gets an extended three and a quarter miles. And do you think he will? Yeah, I think he probably will. Okay. I think you only just have to stay here in, in, in this race. Yeah, I, I, I generally agree. Essentially, you have to be able to... The, the key test of Newbury is being able to hold your position in quite a sort of pacey stayers race. Which is why I don't fancy Corrick Rambler. Yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. Um, and he's, he is a horse with a, a, a mercurial amount of ability. But yeah, I think you, you, you might well be right. I can see him finishing very strongly, but perhaps a little bit too late. Um, it's going to be a feature of Sam Thomas's early training career every time he has a runner in one of these races can he become the eighth man to ride and train the winner of said race then you were reminded just how many big race winners he did actually ride in his career of course his most celebrated success one of them came here on denman in that in that first barnstorming hennessy he runs our power in tomorrow's race and he was speaking at a, a press event here yesterday and this is what he had to say about our power i, I don't put pressure on myself i think by this stage all, all of the horses preparation is done really it's just a question of keeping him um, in one piece and keeping him happy but 
I don't think I can go into the, this race with too much pressure on my shoulders. I just may be a bit nervous and uh, anxious for it to all go well more than anything. So, so what do you think about our, our power? What are his, his credentials for this? Well, I think he showed us that he's able to handle, um, you know, a decent sized field uh, in a competitive race, which he did the last day. Um, it's a pretty, you know, pretty hard race in terms of where they start at the three mile start at Ascot. It's a bit of a cavalry charge down the hill there. Um, and I was actually a bit nervous about that, you know, when, when trying to find races for him first time out, it wasn't actually my first option to go to Ascot. So I'm delighted that he showed us that he can handle those big fields, lots of runners, big fences. Um, and that was a great test, really. Um, and he's a horse which is pretty unflappable. He's off the flat. He knows what he's doing. He's not a horse which is going to you know, go off and be too keen. He looks after himself and always travels within himself. So um, if we can just survive the first back straight and just get into a nice little posse um, and get that out of the way, I'll be you know, really happy. Yeah, um, the three of the horses I think you're taking on, he finished behind at Cheltenham. Where he was travelling really well there. Um, was there anything, I mean, he obviously does stay, but did he not stay that day or was there some other factor? No, well, he certainly stopped. stayed because he, he was only beaten, uh, what, 10 lengths um, that day, you know, so he, was, he wasn't stopping. But if you watch the race, we, uh, we were pretty much... Uh, six six wide on every bend not through anyone's fault it's just the way the race panned out so we went a lot further than the rest of the field unfortunately on the day um and um he still he still powered on up the line really so i think there's no question about him staying i, I have no, no doubts whatsoever that he'll stay <coughs> further than three and a quarter to be honest with you so um my only concern would be if the ground came up really soft um He's not a horse which would handle heavy, I don't think, all, all that well. So um, I don't think the ground is going to go as bad as that, thankfully. But um, I have no, 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 no stamina doubts at all in my mind about, about the horse at all. And from a stable point of view, that you know, you started the season pretty strongly, winning Saturday race at Aintree and Sandown. Um, um, is that what you expected or is it going better than you hoped? No, we're very lucky. We've got a, you know a small, small sort of select team of horses, really, and they are good horses. So we are targeting these weekend races. So um, we're not having a huge amount of runners through the week. Um, we've had a couple of recent seconds. Um, so the horses, Touchwood, seem to be in good form. But like I said, we are targeting these weekend races, really. So uh, it's just nice that we've got on the score sheet early doors. Um, but they've all been very much the plans for for, for the whole of the summer, really. So. We'd be disappointed if we didn't win with one of them anyway, put it that way. That was Sam Thomas. Wonderful memories of, of Denman. Uh, if I said I thought that Denman's first Tennessee was better than his second, would that be sacrilege, given the fact that he won the first one off 160 and the second one off 178 or whatever it was? I think they're both huge performances. I remember watching him win his first Tennessee and from about five out, just standing there mesmerised and watching and going, you're a monster. You're a monster. I can't remember. I just kept saying it. In retrospect, I just I must have said, like, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. But I just remember being so struck by how he did it. And then, you know, all of the, the things that he was coming back from, the things that have happened to him, and the fact that it was such an incredible weight-carrying performance second time around. I cherish them both, but in different ways. Yeah, I, I know. He, 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 did, he did lay the whole lot out there the second time as well, didn't he? Yeah. I was, I was doing the walkback for Channel 4 that day, which was a really fun thing to do with Ruby coming in on, on Denman 
and um, he did get the staggers as he came in. Did he really? Yeah, he did. Uh, well, I mean, because he is the kind of horse who gives absolutely everything. That was his. That was his way. And I mean, what a vintage era that was between him and Corto Star and others, of course, as well. Included um, Long Run would be another one to include in that era. But those two and the the battle they had against each other and the fact that they were from the stable, same stable, just made it particularly special. Just to tidy this race up a little bit, um, we've got a challenger from Ireland in Bustleton for Joseph O'Brien, who I I didn't really fancy, but the fact is he's trained by Joseph O'Brien, so therefore I do a little bit. I was um, hankering all last season as a novice of him going up in trip, and he tried three mile um, for the first time in September. That was at Listowel um, in the Kerry National, um, and that was uh, the best performance yet that he has put up with the blinkers uh, replaced on him. I think he can take another step forward. This is a, a lot deeper again, but I, I do think this is much more his bag than the Bustleton we saw as a novice chaser. And the Tizard trio, they're all interesting for their own reasons. Yeah, um, Fiddler on the Roof is very interesting, isn't he? Uh, when you think back to his second, his narrow second behind, behind Cloudy Glen last year, um, they're putting cheek pieces on him for the first time. I think he's very much um, suited by the circumstances of this race. I think that is um, a strong, he's got a strong chance. I can see him being in the frame again. I'm not sure about Lost in Translation. I think, again, the track is good for him, uh, but he really did go missing uh, last season to quite a large degree. Um, I suppose eighth in the Ultima was, was creditable enough I suppose his first run out in the group, group grade two at Ascot but really when things got very deep you would always be looking at a horse that I think would be um, slightly more uh, well handicapped than him and I've already mentioned Oscar Elite having um, made a more than adequate reappearance at Weatherby over hurdles wind surgery is interesting he was a horse that threatened last season as a novice chaser to deliver something pretty good it didn't quite happen. I, I was impressed with his third behind Corrett Ramba in the Ultima, particularly as he broke a vessel on that occasion. Again, is I, I just wonder whether the tempo of this race is really up his street. Mm. He might just get left, left behind early and not get into a good enough rhythm. Again, if you were with us earlier in the week on the podcast and you listened to Joe Tizard, it was quite clear that Oscar Elite was the one that he fancied the most of his trio for the same reasons, really, that David Pipe, like Jericho Roy, I think they think there's more to come. There's an upside. They're well handicapped. They're ahead of the curve. Well, perhaps one horse we ought to make a bit more mention of that hasn't had too much love is Lord Accord, who's trained by Neil Mulholland. Now, if you go back through the record books, you'll see Neil had the Druid's nephew run very well in this race and Carol's Destrier go damn close to winning it a few years ago and just finishing a really creditable second. Uh, Neil, what's the yard confidence like behind Lord Accord, who's just quietly, quietly contracting in price? Yeah, we're very hopeful, Nick. You know, um, the horse has has had a good season so far, winning at Cheltenham um, and then going on to finish um, second in the Badger Rail to Froden, you know. Um, he's put up two nice performances and then... Um, you know, we hopefully we can we can continue that that trend. Uh, do you think he's a horse that is continuing to improve? Do you think we've not seen the best of him yet? Well, Millie Winnicott, who rides him um, every day, you know, he he's had a canter this morning, and you know she struggled to put struggled to put him up this morning. You know, he's in, he's in great order, and um, we're very you know we're very happy with how his preparation has been, and we're happy with with where he is. As I said, you've had two very good horses run very good races in this in the past. I'm not sure this is a vintage edition of it. Would you be able to compare him favourably to those horses you've run in it before? Um, you know, th- those horses, obviously, with the um, Carl's Destrier finishing second in it, um, to Native River, um, 
you know, he, he was a very good horse to us winning the Mandarin Chase around, you know, Newbury and things like that. So he was good. Um, the Druid's nephew went on to win over fences next time out at the Shetland Festival. And um, this horse here, he's improving. Um, he, he, you know, you can only be happy with by what he's done this season. And hopefully he's on an upward curve. He's got a nice weight. And then hopefully the ground is right. So, you know, listen, we, we're quietly calm, hopeful, but obviously we, we, we let the horse do the talking. All right, Neil. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, Nick. Thank you. Thanks. We need to talk about the conditions this race is going to be right. It's the most beautiful day. And if it is drying as fast as Keith Otterson says the track is drying, then there's not going to be any soft in the ground, is there? Even though it has bucketed down and they've kept pumping water on the track all week. Yeah, well, lots and different clerks of the course have been talking about this, haven't they? And the fact that the, the water table is so low and that the summer has been so dry that any kind of rain that they do get, whilst it might have an immediate effect, it dissipates very, very quickly and is, doesn't, isn't able to have the same lasting impact on the ground and therefore you're not getting what you would expect to get, the sort of seasonal winter, autumn into winter ground after one of the hottest summers on record. Um, so th- that's, that's a problem and water, watering is exactly the same thing. Ruby Walsh was making an interesting point on Road to Cheltenham um, last night and he was particularly thinking about dual purpose tracks and what the relative importance of jumps, jump racing is compared to flat racing in terms of the tending that the two tracks get, particularly where there, there, a choice has to be made. Andrew Cooper, who was the clerk of the course at Sandown, was uh, part of the conversation and he was saying that he literally didn't have the man hours or the man power to do more than just largely maintain the flat track this summer. That, that's how dry it has been. They just spent all hands on the deck most of the time throwing on water and they, only, they didn't manage to do quite as much as they might like to do on the jumps track they did tend to it but not it not not ideally as much as they would like so there's just a question i mean the race it can be one or the other i mean andrew cooper was making the point that the previous season there was a very wet flat season and that they hardly needed to water i don't think whether they actually did water at all during the course of, of 2021 the problem is that Britain isn't a kind of... Um, you described it as temperate to me earlier, which is j- traditionally what Britain's yeah, climate is it, called. It, it was, wasn't it? It was It was temperate, but it's changed. Yeah, it, it can be one thing or another, and when it's one thing, it tends to be all of one thing for a sta- sustained amount of time. Yeah, I mean, and, and that that sort of is the is the, the notable effect to us of, of climate change, isn't it? It's not necessarily that, that it's getting hotter, even though we know that it is getting hotter. It's the fact that when you, you get these weather systems, they tend, to be, they tend to be not what we have been accustomed to. And yeah, and so Ruby Walsh's point was, do the courses have to reassess what they do with a jumps course in the summer? You know, it, it does, is this going to have to, are they going to have to change what they do? Some courses have infrastructure on their, on their um, jumps course, temporary infrastructure for their bigger meetings during that time. You know, he was making the point that the flat course here at Newbury is being tended set aside for the Greenham in five months' time. He was asking the question about whether uh, jumps races and jumps mm. racing gets the same priority. Leopardstown went through a similar thing um, and uh, a couple of seasons ago and the leading trainers basically voted with their feet and didn't run their best horses there. And so... 
Leopardstown has had to change its approach. Andrew's point was, again, he was talking about manpower and the actual physical hours in the day, but he was also saying maybe there might be an argument for having to rejig the flat season, the jump season, to move your uh, race meetings to times where you can be more confident that you'll get the ground that you need. And also maybe, for example, in the case of Sandown, he wasn't saying this was going to happen, he was just thinking out loud, would you finish the flat season earlier? Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, the, the one thing I liked about Newbury, particularly the last couple of years, was that, that where where you were getting very wet ground everywhere else, you were actually getting quite nice ground here. But the converse of that is if you get a particularly dry spell, the, the clerk of the course is going to have his work cut out. I spoke to a couple of senior trainers yesterday, and they both said he'll, they'll just get away with it this weekend, they reckoned. Just. Well, I mean, you know, there was a lot of controversy we'll about, about like Exactly. We will see um, when we get the times, when people have come back from the first few races, you know, when people have, have walked the course again overnight into tomorrow. I mean, it's quite a, a strong um, sun <laughs> this today. This is not the weather that Keith Otterson wanted, even though it's lovely for us. At least it isn't a strong wind. Mm. It, you know, I suppose it, it could be worse as well. But yeah, let us see. I mean, I, I don't think anyone argues that the three high-profile horses that were withdrawn at Ascot, that was absolutely uh, within the trainer's rights to make a decision for their particular horses, that that wasn't suitable. And I don't think anybody has an argument with that. Well, of course, as well as looking at all the good racing from Newbury this weekend, we'll be heading further afield. It's the Japan Cup on Sunday morning. You heard from uh, the connections of Tunis yesterday. Let's head to Tokyo now and rejoin our correspondent there, Liz Price. Thank you, Nick. I'm still in Tokyo. Uh, this Friday morning, I met up with Christophe Lumaire and his wife, Barbara, and uh, who kindly invited me for lunch. It took a long time to find this restaurant, <laughs> but we are finally here. Christophe, explain to me where you've taken me. <laughs> well, because you are very complicated, uh, you don't eat everything, so you wanted some, uh, you know, local food. But, uh, bon. okay, we went to a ramen shop, which is the typical uh, local noodle soup uh, with, um, with uh, pork and uh, egg on the soup. Uh, I ordered the miso ramen, which is uh, my, fa- my favorite. And uh, you ordered uh, something I don't even know. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it looks it looks very good on the picture, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so we're still doing pictures, even though you've lived here for such a long time. No, this is not fair. Christoph um, actually speaks very, um, yeah. You, 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 I speak good Japanese, yeah, right? Yeah, good Japanese. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been eight years I've been here, so I got uh, a few basics of Japanese. That's good. So, Christoph, tell me, you're riding in the Japan Cup. We know that you're riding the French horse or Nestor. But give us a lowdown on the Japanese opposition. I think uh, Danon Beluga is uh, the Japanese horse to beat. Uh, he finished uh, third in the Tenno Show. Uh, he ran well in the Derby as well. Uh, he's one of the best three years old uh, in the country. And uh, his, uh, his race in the Tenno Show was, was very good. Um, he, he didn't have a really, a really clear run on, on that occasion, but he finished very well. And uh, I heard from Ryan Moore that uh, the horse is in excellent condition, so we have to trust Ryan. In Ryan, we trust. Sharia, uh, of course, is a Dubai Schema Classic winner. He's a Derby winner in Japan. 
he finished the fifth in the Tenno show. Uh, he stays very well, I think. Um, but uh, for me, he's not uh, he's not the the best uh, in the race. So for sure, he he will run well. He can finish in the in the top five six. But uh, I don't see him winning on Sunday. Okay. Now, we've talked about the Japanese opposition. You uh, rode Onesto on the track uh, for the first time the other day. What was your impression? Yeah, it was a, a very easy work. Uh, I just wanted to get a contact with the horse, uh, how, just to, to see how he feels uh, on the Tokyo uh, race course. And uh, the horse was um, very smooth. In his action, uh, he looks uh, very happy to be um, on the Tokyo course. For sure, he will like the ground, um, the fast ground of Tokyo race course. And um, Fabrice Chappé, his trainer, is uh, very happy with the horse, with the, um, the condition of the horse. So, you know, he's the higher rating in the race. So uh, I'll have to ride him with a lot of confidence. Uh, he's got a lot of potential, good turn of foot at the end. So uh, luckily we are drawn too. Uh, so uh, I will have uh, I I will save uh, some ground uh, on the inside, and uh, hopefully uh, he will use his um, usual turn of foot at the end. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident. Okay, back here at Newbury, Lydia's uh, with me. Lydia, I was reading your Sporting Life column this week, uh, much of which centred on some of the issues we were touching on earlier as regards ground. But the, the really interesting part for me was your piece about Sedgefield, um, which saw two fatalities in the same race for different reasons at the beginning of November. Uh, the track then, or the, the parent company, uh, ARC and the BHA, then reappointed the fixtures to other racecourses within the group. They are now back racing at Sedgefield again, though some of those fixtures remain elsewhere. It's all a slightly puzzling situation. Um, and th I thought you raised some quite interesting points. For those who haven't read it, just summarise what you were saying. Uh, this is on sportinglife.com. So I was talking about the intemperate language that had been used with the, around the Ascot withdrawals, which I think is... Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's very difficult for a sport that is under intense scrutiny for its use of animals and you know there's, there's, there is the social license between us and the general public about whether they feel that we are running uh, the sport responsible or the sport is being run responsibly and that the um, level of risk is uh, not unreasonable um, so then you, you you put in the context of Sedgefield as you said they had those two fatalities in November the meeting the following week was abandoned they were inspected by the BHA courses course inspectorate team and they decided that the two incidents were not linked in any way and that they at Sedgefield should retain their license to race because it was they were fit to do so now ARC have gone a little bit further uh, they have realigned a bend at Sedgefield and that was in play on Tuesday when they were racing there again and things seem to have gone ahead at 
smoothly on that day, which is a great relief because, I mean, there would have been a sense of jeopardy mm. about going forward there. But they have also retained four meetings um, later on in Sedgefield season that are, have, are still being raced elsewhere within ARC group. And that is to allow Sedgefield to have greater time to recover between meetings and also to ensure that Sedgefield is only ever racing on deep winter ground rather than anything quicker. When they've got some time in the summer, they are going to get some expert contractors in because there's an adverse camber there that they want to uh, rebuild and they need access via a neighbour's field in order to do that. They can only get it in the summer and they also need enough time for when the experts have um, completely uh, sorted out the camber, the turf is going to need some time to bed in in order for it, for it to be safe. But I was just saying that w when you have intemperate language where hyperbole is used, we, we, you know we've got enough real issues that we need to be to be focusing on and we don't need to be draw people drawing undue and unfair conclusions when really we just need to be um, sorting out and getting our own house in order and uh, there's been a lot of conversations on social media about um, how safe um, Sedgefield is and also um, Southall uh, which one of the meetings from Sedgefield has been transferred there and the problem is that uh, the BHA don't publish or the race courses don't either individual injury slash fatality statistics per race course. Now I can understand why that might be but at the same time it does mean that there's a lack of scrutiny in this area and people are having this conversation anyway so they're, they're going to statistics kept by uh, people like Animal Aid who are an animal rights organisation who want racing to be to be outlawed and so this conversation is already being had. Yeah ra the rather um, ghoulishly named racehorse death watch. Yeah um, and and you know, that, that, that is happening. There is no, no, no escaping that. And so, you know, Cheltenham's been scrutinised for its record. Aintree's been scrutinised for its record. We, we're used to, to, to being under, under scrutiny. But I just feel that, A, that there seems to be a lack of accessible data. But more than anything, I was very much struck when I was researching for the article. I went to the uh, RFU, the, the rugby uh, site, and they've got this page called Rugby Safe, which has got all sorts of information for, on a grassroots level and just generally in terms of something that is an existential problem for rugby, which is head injuries and tackling and the effect, physical effect thereof, on human beings. You know, horse welfare and, and, and it's connected, human welfare, the people who ride them, that is an existential threat for racing. And I do not see the evidence that... Uh, racing is investing as much as rugby clearly has invested and other sports facing existential threats and uh, you know I, I asked uh, the BHA how much had been invested in it and they kind of gave me a very vague answer uh, I think my response would be not enough mm. yeah so they probably can't put a precise no. figure on it which again tells you a story in, in and of itself really we also talk about Marco Ghiani who's picked up a six-month ban um, a sample was found to have a metabolite of cocaine. He's served quite a bit of it already. It'll be effective from when he, um, his licence was taken in September. So he'll be back in time for the spring. Obviously, Lydia, we always feel for people in, in circumstances like this uh, without trying to um, diminish their, their culpability in any sense. But um, it, it's thrown up a couple of quite interesting points, this case. Yes, uh, Marco Ghiani, um, who was represented by Rory McNeese uh, in front of the disciplinary panel, um, has described his decision to take cocaine as the most stupid of his life. And Rory McNeese was uh, talking about Mr Ghiani's uh, huge embarrassment and how he will have to uh, work hard to regain the trust of his weighing room colleagues. He says that he succumbed to temptation at a time when he felt vulnerable professionally. He puts a great deal of pressure on himself to succeed for those who engage him. And he can 
considers he has some difficulties in being objective when he feels his performance has resulted in horses not running to the best of their abilities. He has a tendency, a character tendency to move on from success almost instantly while allowing perceived failures to stay with him for a considerable length of time. One consequence of this is that it has led to counselling along those lines. And it quite often, this sort of recreational drug use or... or um, something more serious is indicative of an underlying mm. problem and you know it has to be taken in both ways it's not just a, a, a disciplinary um, attitude that has to be taken towards it there's also has to be some some support and some help in terms of you know reconstruction and rehabilitation and um, the British Horse Racing Authority has clearly taken that view in this case as well and proceeded down both lines which the the parties have been receptive to and you know that has to be the right way forward uh, on a on a different uh, note, but still talking about positive tests. Um, John and Thady Gosden have had a couple of horses. Um, I, I, you'd call them overages if you were in America, I suppose, r- rather than failed drug tests. And we, we've got to be careful in the language you, we use when we, we, we talk about these. We were talking about the Ben Clark case earlier in the week. But John Gosden's made some quite interesting observations in uh, in his testimony, hasn't he? Yes, he called it a little puzzle. So he's been fined a total of £3,000 by the disciplinary panel for two fillies that he ran towards the end of 2020. They were both found to have the same therapeutic drug still in their systems more than a fortnight after it was given, and in one case, 26 days after administration. Um, they, one horse was Majestic Noor, who tested positive after winning a listed race at Yarmouth, and the other horse... Uh, Perinista uh, finished unplaced on her two career starts Um, and it it was described this um, the the drug that was used by the BHA as something that was frequently and legitimately uh, prescribed and administered to horses by vets and so he got a fine of £1,500 because the BHA for each horse because the BHA accepted three mitigating factors that Gosden had followed the guidance of his vet that the substance is likely to have behaved unpredictably and that there had been a delay in the by the BHA in bringing the case I mean that's that's like press F3 isn't it moment that every single case seems to be very much um... covid backlog (laughs) exactly exactly but covid um John Gosden told the panel it is pretty strange the 26 days it leaves just a little puzzle but at least we clearly know the source of the medication which is commonly used including in inventing and show jumping we're very conservative in our use of it in the case of Majestic Nora it's the first time in her life it ever been used um I don't know what tiny picograms um, were uh, the amount found by the tests was, but obviously it wasn't very much. But these are positives, and we have to face face the fact. Our vet is a surprise as anyone. He's a man of enormous experience. He's been with me for thirty something years, and the horse comes first with him. Um, he was worried. Uh, he was puzzled rather that um, the cases happened. Two cases happened so close together, um, and he pointed out that in the subsequent two years, he's not been no- notified of any other failed tests. Uh, he had previously had a, a, a similar case when Royal Line was disqualified from third in the Long Distance Cup. That was back in 2019 and at that point he complained that the BHA abdicates almost all responsibility for withdrawal times leaving vets at the coalface with the lingering feeling that they are running trials for the regulator and suffering the consequences along with their clients of any adverse mm. finding he was interesting isn't it? He was, he was more, he was more um, placatory um, after the, the, these cases than he had been three years earlier Okay, well again we, we, you and I have had this conversation many times that there needs to be some sort of global symposium to discuss the way in which these cases are dealt with around the world and try to work out ways to make the lives of of practitioners 
clearer, I think, and more straightforward in this respect. Yeah, because, I mean, from the outside, you know, failing a drugs test is a very black and white mm. thing, whereas actually there is a lot of grey in all of this. So quite often it can be therapeutic drugs that have just, for whatever reason, either been um, prescribed too close, um, and then in which case the person doing that is more at fault, or, as in these cases, they have lingered longer than veterinary advice would suggest that they mm. would, but they are th- therapeutic drugs. There are also things that happen at racecourse stables where if we have this global conversation we might decide is not something that the industry uh, globally wishes to pursue and then you have as you would have with any um any scenario whereby money a very large amount of money is at hand you know there there is always the presence of somebody uh, pushing the boundaries and, and, and what well, we know know of that we've seen the headlines world, worldwide trying to gain an advantage um, via pharmaceuticals where where they absolutely shouldn't and again we need to have a conversation about that and whether the testing is good enough whether it's up to speed enough and whether the bans are proportionate now, we've been making much on the podcast of these scepter sessions that are part of the Tattersall's breeding stock sale, uh, which begins uh, on the 28th and, and runs through to the, the early part of December. Now, next Tuesday evening, you'll see a whole glut of gorgeous fillies and mares going through the ring. In fact, um, across the scepter sessions, there are now six individual Group 1 winners. One of those is Saffron Beach. Now, intriguingly, you remember she missed the Breeders' Cup. You know, intriguingly, she also has an entry in Hong Kong after the, the Scepter uh, sessions. Her trainer, Jane Chapel-Hyam, is on the line now. Uh, Jane, I, I'm guessing the, the entry tells us everything we need to know. Is there a bit of unfinished business here? Well, we missed the Breeders' Cup because, um, you know, she had a slight cough. Um, we're over all of that. And um, <clears throat> we've trained her... As we got an invitation to Hong Kong, which is, as you know, invitations are hard to find for Group 1s and it's all expenses paid by the Hong Kong Jockey Club. So I accepted the invitation and hopefully whoever buys her on Tuesday evening would like to then load her up on Saturday and send her to Hong Kong. (laughs) Trained by Jane Chapel-Hyam. Well, hopefully, yeah. You, you, well, we've got the my staff and myself, and we've got the visas to go, and um, anyone can look at her um, video scope, X-rays, and scans um, up at Tattersalls. So um, we're all set, and she's got a clean bill of health. And let's see if the new purchaser would like to continue the journey for one more dance one more dance maybe maybe i've asked a few people this who've got good mares in the scepter session whether they think it's time now that said horse becomes a a mum or whether there there is a little bit more left to play with on the race course i mean she's done so much what do you think well i'm a trainer so i'm gonna tell you she's lightly raced she had two runs as a two-year-old she's low mileage on the legs Legs are good, as you can see from x-rays and scans. Um, I'd let the dice roll for next year, but there's opportunities to go to stud and there are some lovely stallions. So it, it, stud fans would, would swing that way, I'd imagine. Yeah, uh, and she is going to be you know, hugely sought after when it comes to the uh, the scepter sessions as well. She's by a stallion that, that you've done incredibly well with New Bay. Have you managed to load up with any more during the yearling sales? Yeah, I've got Saffron Beach's full brother coming to me, so 
looking forward to him being finished broken in and and um, picked up some others along the way and I've still got Claymore in training and I've got Nazaka who's off to Dubai so yeah we're, we're happy with the stock we've got thank you how does the how does the younger brother look you know he's really nice he you would think they were twins Really? They're that similar in, 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 in just in body and head and markings. Very, very, very similar. So same colouring, same markings. Um, if if he's half as good, Jane, you'll be quite happy, won't you? Um, I'd, yeah, yeah. But, well, you never know, do you? Some some, some brothers are and, and some aren't, but we're, we're hoping we've got the right one and he will be. And what about Claymore for next year? You you went quite light on him. Was, was that deliberate that you just went quietly, quietly? Oh, well, he came back from York very jarred up. And I also ran another horse there, Millstream, a two-year-old, and he came home very jarred up. So we decided with both owners, both horses, they're nice horses. Let's let them develop and and finish off um, the season. Turned out, bit of grass. And um, in the background, you can hear the treadmill going. That's Claymore on there. (laughs) And um, Millstream's just come back from his break, and so we're just gearing them up for races next year. But they've had, an, an, you know, they've had a nice long break. Lovely. Can't wait to see them again. Best of luck next week. I hope this plan comes off. I'd be nice if it did, but you never know, do you? Fingers crossed. Definitely. Okay. Thanks to all my guests today. Still beautifully sunny here in Newbury. I'm sure, if we're set fair for this for the whole weekend, if we are, yeah, it, it might be good and and bad at the same time. Um, Lydia's still alongside me with some um, expert betting advice. I quite like Frere Darms in the 12.45 today at Newbury. Um, he is trained by Dan Skelton. He's the bottom weight. He's already run once at Kempton. He's got a really accurate, nice way of jumping. I think he's going to be suited by this track. It's a deep race. There are some horses in there that you would expect to be pretty good, but some of them are making their debut over fences, the likes of Balco Coastal and Soaring Glory. Um Again, just a reminder that if you weren't with us earlier on in the week, Joe Tizard gave quite a big mention to Call the Dawn in the opening race today. Said he thought he was a a very nice horse. I mean, again, that that looks a race. And it's a weekend of some depth. Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back to do it all over again after the weekend. Let's hope it's a weekend of great racing and um, relatively incident-free. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.